Welcome to Plastic Model Mojo, a podcast dedicated to scale modeling, as well as the news and events around the hobby, where we hope to be informative and entertaining and help you keep your modeling mojo alive. Dave, we're up to 75, man. I know. This is a milestone, man. It's a milestone episode. Yeah. Can't promise it's going to be milestone comment co- or content, <laughs> but uh, we'll do our best. We try. We try. <laughs> we do try. 75, man. That's hard to believe. I know. It's uh, to, Honest to God, it seems just yesterday when you when you called up and said, you want to try this podcast thing? Well, there's a little more conversation around well, it than that. Yes, I know. <laughs> I know. But it doesn't oh, seem long ago. No, it wasn't long ago. Well, there's a lot of crap in the world's gone on since we started yeah. this thing. It's kind of made True. it go kind of kind of fast, I think. Who knew when we started that that all was going to happen? Uh, you know, it got us through it. Yep, it did. And it's kind of reinvented the hobby for a lot of people, too. So, Yep, I agree. So, so there you go. Well, that said, episode 75 and all, Dave, what is up in your model sphere? Well, uh, my model sphere is a uh, uh, happening place. Lots of things going on. Uh, one, I uh, got to see my partner in crime down in my neck of the woods on Saturday and got to go to the hobby shop and spend a little time and a little money and, uh, uh, you know, a hobby shop is is fun to go to, but with your if you're with a modeling friend, it's even better because you end up noticing different stuff and commenting back and forth. And uh, I'm personally proud that you left the hobby shop without purchasing a stug because there were a bunch of them. Uh, there were, man. And I would be the partner in crime in case anybody's wondering. <laughs> well, I hope that was rather obvious. Um, <laughs> And then uh, uh, we were lucky enough uh, this Friday to uh, have a little online get-together with uh, uh, some of the other podcasters talking amongst ourselves on a Friday night while we're uh, modeling and maybe having a, a, a little modeling fluid and had a great time. So I'm jazzed. My model sphere is great. How about yours? Oh, mine's doing pretty good. Uh you know, I had fun coming into town and brought my wife into town to visit her mother because uh, she's still struggling with driving with her detached retina surgery. So dropped her off and then met you at Hooters. Yep. <laughs> they had some, some chicken wings, wings and some beer. And uh, then we went over to Scale Reproductions and then over to your house. Yep. And uh, uh, watched, some SC- or watched some football and uh, yeah, had a good time. That's all right. <laughs> Other than that, uh, what else have I been doing? Uh, that's probably the highlight. Well, I know one thing you've been doing, but we'll get to that later in the episode. <laughs> uh, Mike, do you have a modeling fluid with you? I, I do have a modeling fluid with me. I always do. Uh, even, well, if it's, even if it's water, but I think I've only done that once. Yeah. I'm drinking Rheingeist Truth. Oh, okay. I've had that one. Which is an IPA from Cincinnati because... Unfortunately, this is as close to Cincinnati as I'm going to get anytime <laughs> soon. Yeah, well, 
I'll try and represent us both up there. Well, I'm still going to a model show, but not the Cincinnati show. Gotcha. We'll get to it later. I've had it before, probably on the show as well, but uh, I like it most of the time. That's not a Ryan guy statement. It's an IPA statement. It's, I, I kind of got to be in the mood for it. Right. And this one's pretty good. I, th- I guess I'm in the mood. We'll find out later. Well, what about you? Yes, I do have a modeling fluid. And it is brand new to me. Never had this before. It is Flying Dog Breweries, ironically, The Truth. Imperial IPA. <laughs> so the we're truth. both we're both drinking the truth, but different breweries. I, w- I wonder if they know. I don't know. That's a great question. Well, we won't start anything. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's an Imperial IPA, uh, and I've never had anything from Flying Dog, which is out of Frederick, Maryland. Oh, there you go. I've got I and. I've been through Frederick, Maryland a couple of times, so uh, which is the picturesque part of Maryland. Very nice. So as the episode goes on, we'll see how it goes, but uh, I'm I'm willing to give any Maryland beer a shot. Well, while we're enjoying these, Dave, uh, the mailbag has rebounded from a good, a little light coverage last episode, but uh, that's okay. Thanks for writing in, folks. Yes, absolutely. Well. Ironically, first up is Michael Ward, and Michael is the uh, see the vice president or president of the Cincinnati Club. Vice president, I think. I hope you didn't demote him. I hope you didn't downgrade him there. Sorry, Mike. Well, as we just said, uh, Mr. Ward, little change of plans. Dave's going to be there representing Plastic Model Mojo with the table banner and some little bit of swag, maybe. I hope. Yep. And folks can sure come on by and. Talk to Dave and Skippy will be there. Is that right? That's right, Skippy. I, I've I've upgraded. I've replaced you with a with a with a superior modeler. Well, he's got he's got more beard than I've got hair. Yeah, it's true. But yeah, Skippy will be at the table with me, and Mike Mike will be down south doing a recon on a completely different show, just kind of by accident. Kind of by accident. Yeah, I'm going to be down at a little show in Greenville, Tennessee. It's a Independent show put on by the Appalachian Scale Modelers Association, which is resident to my hometown of Johnson City, which is just, oh, 25 miles up the road. So uh, we're going down to f- visit my folks, but I'm going to be taking on that show a little bit and give those guys a little support. Maybe uh, blow the trumpet banner for our show while we're there. Yes, absolutely. Our, our podcast anyway. And uh, But anyway, Dave, you're, I'll, we'll work something out where uh, we'll get a little bit of uh, sound out of this for a future yeah. episode somehow. Yep, and maybe some video too. Yeah, maybe. You got your camera and I got mine. That's right. I'm going to do a, I'm going to do a little work. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> oh, who else we got? I must have I think I scrolled too high. <laughs> I did. <laughs> Beer's getting too yard. We, we had a couple come in like right under the wire last time. And one of them which I'll get to in a minute was a little unfortunate, but I think it probably worked out all right. But the first of those was Dalton Lott, which is our our young friend. I can't remember where he is. I want to say he's in Georgia, but his first name of Dalton may have me biased to thinking that's Georgia. That's a a town a little down there north of Atlanta where they make a lot of carpet. Yes. Uh, Anyway, he's written in again thanking us for the tip on the Yellow Wings decals for his F4B-4. Got a couple of questions. You (laughs) have 
Uh, what to do with a kit you shot with a BB gun a few years back? It's just not good enough to save for like a crash diorama or something. Do you still get rid of it or not? <laughs> uh, here's here's what I do. If if a model for whatever reason has been destroyed for one of a better term, I you know I'm not I'm not shooting BBs into models anymore. I haven't done that in forty years or so. We should do uh, that someday and film it. That's right. It, you know, my backyard's big enough. We could actually do we that. Could. We'll use your mosquito. There you go. No, no, no. no. <laughs> Stop that. Um, no, we'll use your Allen SU-76. How about uh, that? Definitely not. I didn't think so. Um, but if if I've got a model that's got wrecked, can't be repaired, generally I will throw it away. But if there are salvageable parts off of it that I might end up using like, or the, the thing that pops to mind for me is ordinance. So yeah. if, if there's ordinance or you, I'm almost always salvage the wheels. Uh, Maybe even the engines, if, even if the landing gear is bad, the wheels are usually okay. And you can reuse those uh, engines as another one props, depending on the level of damage. If you, if you can get the clear pro- clear part clear parts out, and they they show usability, yeah, you're probably worth saving. Yeah, although those usually end up being parts that that if yeah, there's been if there's been a crash, usually end up uh, uh, not being right. salvageable. That's right. Well, his other question is: if you're done with that part, yeah, I am. Okay, just checking, man. Ah, <laughs> uh, he didn't like the pilot that came with his F four B dash four. And I okay. was wondering if, if there's a replacement out there. Now, I don't know if you want a seated or standing pilot, but, you know, just, just get on get on eBay and search for uh, U.S. Pilot 30-second scale. And I did it. Nineteen thirty came up. Start wide and then narrow down. I That's know. right. And, I, you know, if you want a seated figure, I found a couple of those. Yeah. And prices, prices are all over the place because some of these new resin figures are kind of pricey. But there's a couple of old Valiant figures. Yeah. Remember Shep Payne used to use those all the time? I remember, man. And uh, You're taking me back. <laughs> a couple of pilots on the ground next to the airplane or whatever, but uh, have a look. See what you like. And I, I don't know where else. I, there's probably ICM probably has some plastic ones, maybe. Maybe. They may be Army Air Corps, but maybe you don't care. But, uh, yeah, you know, that's – and we're going to get into this later in the, in the episode in another way. But, yeah – uh the the internet has made things like answering those questions really really much easier than it used to be cuz pre-internet you know you would ask friends you'd look through magazines and that's about it <laughs> oh i'm laughing ahead sorry all right that's all right <laughs> so oh, go ahead bob, bob bear voice of bob the voice of Bob. We need to get in touch with the voice of Bob. We do. I do. I'm I'm like halfway prepared, but that's a, that's an aside. Uh, the one I missed, he was uh, wanting to support a show that we missed because the email came in late for our recording session. It was October 15th, Fast Tracks Falcon 2022, and this was in Statesville, North Carolina, which is Kind of northern, western North Carolina, northwestern North Carolina. It used to be a NASCAR track there. I don't know if yes. it still is or not. So it's kind of NASCAR country. Right. Uh, his follow-up email, we'll get into that more. But uh, in this initial email, Dave, uh, 
that's what he was that's what he was after and right. I hope you I hope your wife's feeling better bob she had some surgery on her back and uh that's never fun no absolutely not all the best there back to modeling ah, a couple other things too he agrees with evan and he liked Evan, ha, liked hearing Evan on the show as a guest. He always likes having Evan, Evan on there. I think because of Evan's uh, humility and uh, just general general attitude. So yes, fine young lad, fine fine young mini Mike. <laughs> uh, he agrees with Evan that uh, it sounded like you're drinking some weed ale. <laughs> well, I have discussed that with Jim Bates, and there is such a thing, and. Uh, when I get to, to visit Jim, whenever that may be, he has promised to uh, uh, secure some and uh, to uh, to sample it, and I can report back. Okay. <laughs> but up to now, I've never had weed ale. I've had plenty of wheat ale. Well, it, it's kind of reminiscent of, uh, like here in Kentucky, uh, you, all, you have all these products that have hemp in them. Mm-hmm. That never had hemp in them, even when hemp was a viable crop in Kentucky back, you know, before World War II, right? Right. You're trying trying to make it viable because it's like now it's <laughs> they don't make rope out of it anymore. Well, not, <laughs> not like they used to. Not like they used to, right? <laughs> so now they're making weed ale, and then liquid gravity, <laughs> heavy, heavy man. I don't think I don't think you can make uh, I don't think you can make liquid gravity out of out of hemp. Uh, no, but you can drink it. Yes, probably make you stupid. It probably would <laughs> over time and by. <laughs> yeah, it would be a stupid thing to do as well. That's right. Well, he went up to Fast Tracks Falcon and uh, he says it had been primarily a car show, but uh, this is their first shot at expanding into other genre. He had a good time. Said so it was interesting. You know, they're just expanding, so military aircraft category ended up having everything in it from rockets to bombs and sure everything so small show i think it's an unaffiliated show but anyway bob thanks for the emails we'll make sure dave's drinking the right stuff he closes the party on dave so he's pretty sold he heard Weedale. that's right <laughs> party on bob brandon jacobs now brandon's our special agent 003 mm-hmm. we'll hear we'll hear from him in a little bit more uh just a hobby shop shout out, actually. Or no, it's a, not a hobby shop shout out. It is a a YouTube shout out. Mr. G's YouTube channel. Hmm. Uh, I don't think I've come across local that. Local guy out of Houston promoting the hobby and local shows. I'll shoot you the URL right now. And you can put it in the show notes, Dave. Absolutely. Oh, man. Brian Colt from uh, Chicagoland. Okay. He's a Patreon guy. Set us his uh, Patreon handle, so I know. So I know that. So thank you for that, Brian. We appreciate it. He's uh, thanking us for having Doctor Strange rush on to, and bringing him into his sphere of consciousness. And his tips have really helped him a lot in uh, both his airbrushing and his building. And he just wants to know, basically, if uh, we're ever planning on coming to Chicago Land. Says the Butch O'Hare chapter has a show coming up soon. When is that? Um, I don't know. We should check. Let me go and check. If it's before the end of the year, I will be surprised, but it could be. Uh, the Butch O'Hare show is actually before the end of the year. It's uh, ah. November, November 5th, 2022. And I've been up to that show before. 
Well, I'm sure there's info on their website. There is. It's uh, uh, butchohairmodelclub.com. And Brian closes PS for peanut butter whiskey. Go with screwball. Now, Mm-mm. that's what I, that's I, what I really, yes. I'm thinking that's the high bar for peanut butter whiskey. How many, how many, how many planes does Hades have? I don't know, but that's gotta be at the bottom level of Dante's Inferno, man. Cause that was screwball that I, that I drank. And, and that's, that's tier one for peanut butter whiskeys. Apparently. Ooh. God, I'd hate to see what tier six for peanut butter whiskey is. <laughs> it's like uh, rot, rotten peanut butter in the jar. I, I guess, man. I'm having <laughs> I'm having peanut butter. Every time somebody mentions that, I, I start to sweat and get, you know, shakier than even normal. Well, you're going to have to wear more deodorant at the model shows then because it's going to get mentioned for, oh, for forever at this point. Yeah, I know. I know. It's one of those <laughs> things that happens. Matt Schaefer. Well, Matt doesn't give a geography, but he gives a clue. Okay. Uh, Summit Extra Pale Ale out of St. Paul, Minnesota. So maybe he's from that area. They might be up there around Steve Hustad's neighborhood. He he might. Now, we'll remember him because uh, he and his son ran into us on the elevator in Omaha. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Must have been your voice, Dave. That must have been. That still is weird every time it happens. Well, he's appreciating us keeping him company at the bench. So our pleasure, Matt. Keep on listening and check out the others as well. There's plenty of podcasts out there. Yep, absolutely. David Darden from Atlanta, Georgia. This is going to be a Georgia theme to this episode. I got a feeling. There there you go. That's the second mention after Dalton, Georgia. I just have a feeling it's going to come up again. Okay. Uh, he is asking about, uh, well, for waiting model aircraft, um, golfers use a, uh, a, 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 a an adhesive, uh, strip lead strip weight to, mm. uh, you can buy this stuff in rolls off of Amazon. He gives a link dead soft. You can squish it in any, any surface and cut it with scissors or whatever. Uh, that's another viable option for nose weight. Hmm. I had never heard of that. And apparently the adhesive is pretty good cause it's, you know. It's on the end of a golf club. Yeah. You you would think <laughs> that means it's not gonna it's got not gonna come unadhered at some point. And small tungsten lead or tungsten spheres, again with two part epoxy, which is what you recommended. Yeah, that's what the liquid gravity is, is very, very small uh, lead or white metal or or what pot metal, whatever it is, uh just super almost like grains of sand. Right, and so it'll it'll conform to to any shape, and then you just go in with the two part epoxy. Ah, uh, ah, uh, Evan and I had an exchange about uh, the imperial and uh, metric uh, measurement systems. Right. Uh, he wants to make sure that uh, you know the the C doesn't stand for Celsius. What's the C stand for? Can't go the moon. <laughs> I've heard that joke before, but that is a good one. And the F is short for F and bend to the moon. that said evan is a great fifth beetle or third mojovian we always have a great episode with him okay well yeah we do we'll far we'll forward that along i'm sure he's listening he better be oh man mark deramus now i mispronounced his name last time he's our listener out of uh seattle land up there with those jokers yep and uh uh, he he's the one that went to uh, Bangkok, Thailand, found the hobby shop, right? 
Yeah. Well, he's got an email email here describing some of his adventures overseas and uh to tie it all back to social social media, he says he finds finds most of these shops either through Google or just blanket requests on the various, you know, kit maker network forums. Sure. And uh he just found out he's being sent to Australia next month. Oh. And wants to know if there's any hobby shops near Manly, Australia. We will we will have to to find out from Dave Goldfinch and the crew down in uh, Australia. I'm sure they know where Manly is and I I'm sure they can give you a detailed uh layout of any place close to there. <laughs> well, hopefully there's something that makes your trip better. All right. Chris DeYoung, Jacksonville, Florida. Which is close to Georgia. I wonder if he's related to Dennis. <laughs> Chris, did your dad found sticks? <laughs> okay. If the answer to that comes back, yes. <laughs> you and Jim and he are going to have some conversation. <laughs> what do you use for a grad a grab handle template or jig? And he wants to begin with his own. I think he, he, maybe he meant he want. Well, I don't know if he forgot to attach something, or, or that's a misstatement there. But anyway, um, I make a, a jig out of styrene typically, and I don't know if I can explain it or not. I should make a video, Dave. Yes, you should. You, there are plenty of videos you should make. Well, I'll try. Okay. You need a piece of thick styrene. Probably, I've, I, I typically make my fixturing and stuff with 80,000 styrene. That's like one of the biggest, one of the largest thicknesses Evergreen makes, I think. Right. And it's pretty stout. You just don't want any flex. And I have a pair of calipers. And I set the calipers to the width of the grab handle I want to make. And I lock the jaws with this little thumb screw on it. And assuming your piece of styrene has a straight edge, one one true edge on it. You drag one one tooth of the caliper along the edge of the styrene and drag the other end inboard of that on the top of the plastic, and you'll scribe a line. That's the width that you want. Then I take a like a little T-square or something, a straight edge, and I draw a line perpendicular. Well, actually, I scribe a line perpendicular from that line I just scratched with the calipers mm-hmm. to the edge of the styrene, and I'll scribe that with a scribing tool so it's a groove. Right. That will accept a piece of brass wire to some degree. It doesn't have to be the, you know, the width of the wire. It just has to be deep enough that it doesn't slide around. Then I take a piece of brass wire and I make one 90 degree bend in it at one end, just a little bit, you know, maybe eighth inch, few millimeters, bend it over in an L. Well, I need back up a step. At the intersection of the line you described perpendicular to the line you scribed before that, drill a hole that will accept the wire. Then form the star, the the wire into the L shape. Put the leg of the L down in the hole, and the rest, the long bit of the wire down that groove you scribed, and then fold the other side over the edge of the styrene, and boom, you've got a grab iron that's the right width. Right, and you can then do one after the other. You can after do one the after the other to your to either wear out the jig, or which can happen, you can rock out the hole and they start getting a little shorter, long, or whatever. But uh, you can do quite a few before that ever happens, but that's how I do it. Well, you know how I do it? No. I buy one of those commercial grab handle bending tools. 
Now, yes, <laughs> I I do know what you're going to say. That yes, that's right. The grab handle you'll you'll find is in between two of the steps. Sometimes on the on the uh, on the pre-done grab handle tool maker. And yes, I acknowledge that does occasionally happen. Well, we've almost doubled the time in this episode, but at 30 minutes in, I will mention that you need to go watch Martin Kovacs episode on the worst modeling purchase he ever made. (laughs) Was it the grab handle maker? Uh, I don't know which one it is, but is yes, it is one of those type devices. And what was his complaint with it? Because I don't remember that. The same thing you just said, I believe. But oh, that it ends up the the grab handles end up between two of the pre-done steps. Right. That that. That sort of thing is fundamentally flawed. Well, yeah, to some extent, yes. Although if you find a tool with enough steps in small enough increments, that's probably going to get you someplace a fair amount of the time. Listeners, would you go with Dave or Martin? (laughs) Yeah, no. The answer to that is Martin. (laughs) Trust me. The answer to that is Martin. Now we've said his name like five times. He's got to send us send us some of that sweet, sweet YouTube money or something. Uh, and finally, from the email side, from the Big Apple, New York City, Mr. Michael Karnauka. Oh, gosh, what now? Let me get my glasses so I don't uh, futz this up. In the spirit of the season, I thought I'd ask, what is the most scary, frightening thing that you or Dave have experienced that's hobby hobby related. Um cannot be foundry miniatures or Mach 2 kits. Okay. Okay. I I'm tempted to say that um I'm tempted to say that occasionally at a model show that you'll run into somebody who doesn't seem like they've taken their meds lately. Or their shower. Or, or their shower or both. Those two, the two things are usually related. And I, <laughs> what I was interested to find out when we were at the IPMS Nationals and we had breakfast with the OTB guys, apparently the, the lack of personal hygiene by a modeler at a hobby show appears not to be U.S. or Canadian specific because uh, they instantly related uh, – to that experience with what they've experienced in Australia. So I'm wondering if maybe that's kind of a universal modeler thing. There's always the one guy. <laughs> at least, I, at least one. Yes. <laughs> yes. Usually and, there's, usually there's one that's uh, above and beyond. Yes. There, there, there are a couple that I can think of that come to the top of my head. You're sitting there or you're standing there at a vendor's table looking at some particular item you're interested in and suddenly you have to leave the area because you simply can't continue to stand there in the presence of the funk. (laughs) (laughs) And that's part that, that for me probably is one of the more frightening things at a, at a hobby show is you run into the person with the, the, the funk so bad. uh, And many times the same person is not does not seem to be completely grounded in reality and that can be kind of kind of a a bad thing especially if you've been talking to him for like 10 minutes and it starts to dawn on you yes oh god that's even worse that's it that's the worst when it's when it's when they're not 
a nutter up front. Right. They sound perfectly reasonable until the point where they talk about having having had dinner with Bigfoot. <laughs> well, Michael is interested in anything paranormal, possibly. He says he's gathered a bunch of kits in aftermarket and just seems to vanish. <laughs> that, that might be a stash size problem. <laughs> that that might well be a stash size problem. I can relate. How many times have you gone through your stash and gone, oh, I didn't know I had that kit? Maybe or, they're oh, like, oh crap! I already had that. You're putting, or, your, yes, you're putting that, your new one on the shelf. That that is the other version of it. And uh, maybe this is kind of like you know how you put socks in the dryer and you always only end up coming back with one sock instead of two. Maybe there is a same thing with stashes. You know, you you think you don't have a kit. You look around in a cursory manner. You don't see it, so you get the kit, and then as soon as you get it. You find the one that you were pretty sure you had but couldn't locate? Mine are a couple of disasters. Okay. I may have told this one before, but it's, it's not terrible. But uh, I built Ravel's 30-second scale zero. Right. In the Baba Black Sheep boxing, I remember. I, I remember that. Yeah. I mean, the kid had like, what, 12 parts? Yes. For 30-second scale kit. Yes. <laughs> But I was pretty proud of it, and it was sitting over there on my dresser. I was at my desk doing my homework, and I looked over and admired it and went back to my work. Then I looked over again, looked at it some more, and right as my eyes focused on it, oh. both the landing gear broke at the same time. <laughs> and it just, one went east and one went west, and the thing just smacked its nose on the ground. All the propeller blades broke off. Oh, <laughs> oh my Lord. That was scary. And yep. the other one was... Uh, few years after that i'd built tamia's horse-drawn field kitchen okay esky's german supply wagon yep and esky's horse-drawn ambulance i remember all three of those kits and i had them all lined up on this road diorama i was going to build i just had it as like a piece of wood yep and i don't know what i did but one end slipped out of my hand and they just slid down that board one after the other pow pow (laughs) pal and all three re-kitted themselves on the floor in about four seconds oh. <laughs> oh and if i remember correctly i may have tried to write the board which just made one accelerate right and right went four times as far as the last one before that and uh and that's, that's pretty scary because they weren't even I, painted yet i just got them all built and that's when you became interested in physics <laughs> that's yeah something like that <laughs> Well, Dave, that's all from the email side of things. What's been happening on Facebook? Well, I've got two Facebook messages. I've had a number of Facebook messages uh, fairly recently, but two of them uh, that particularly stand out. Dave Weiss contacted me, and Dave, I don't know your geography. There's nothing in your profile that tells me where you're located. And he's never entered a model contest. He actually is is a sculptor and so he sculpts figures and he was wondering if you know it, it at most shows whether it's permissible to enter a figure that's been sculpted out of something other than plastic and uh, uh, I told him that you know obviously sculpting's a real skill and uh, Every show that I think I've ever been to would absolutely welcome 
figures that were scratch built slash sculpted, no matter what the material that was sculpted out of resin, uh, epoxy, uh, you know, whatever, whatever it would happen to be. It doesn't strictly have to be plastic or styrene. So I encouraged him definitely to, to go to a show and enter some of his work that he sculpted because Again, one of the great things about going to a show and seeing something like that that's handmade is that, you know, sometimes I love the Nationals. This is not a knock on the Nationals. But if you go to the Nationals and you go to the 48-scale single-engine aircraft uh, section, you're going to see the same model of the same kit over and over again. So going and looking at something that somebody has hand sculpted, be it a figure or scratch built airplane or whatever. That's the thing that kind of draws my attention. And I spend a lot of time looking at those simply because it's not something that you see every day. So I hope he does actually enter, enter a contest. The other one that comes to mind is uh, our friend Tyler Artis. And he asked, what's a good online shop for tools? You know, not necessarily kits or paints, but tools. And the two that immediately popped to mind for me were uh, uh, model paint solutions. Uh, Dr. Strangebrush carries a lot of tools, um, everything from measuring beakers and stuff like that to third-party tools. And uh, the other that popped immediately to my mind was uh, UMM USA. Uh, John Wojtek. In fact, when when John is at a show, um, he vends and he, he usually has a lot of tables. I'm immediately over to his vendor tables. And while I'll take a look at the model stu- models he has, I spend a lot of time and a lot of money buying the tool stuff he has because he has some very unique tools. He designs a lot of them himself and uh, uh, they're very, very useful. His scribers to me are some of the best in the business and I have all three versions. So as far as online shops for modeling tools, model paint solutions, UMM USA, and there are others out there. Is that it? That's it from the Facebook side of things. Well, if you'd like to contact us, and we hope you do, because we really enjoy this segment, uh, you, you can do so by going through uh, Facebook Messenger. Dave kind of takes care of those and send a direct message to us, and uh, one of us will talk to you. Dave handles a lot of that. Unless it's kind of armor-centric, then maybe I will. Yes. Or send your emails to uh, plasticmodelmojo at gmail.com, and we'd love to hear from you. Definitely. This is the point in the show where I ask everybody to take a minute when they're done listening to this episode, go and rate us on whatever podcast app you uh, 
use to listen to us. We'd ask you rate us five stars. It helps drive visibility of the podcast. Uh, also, if you wouldn't mind, if you're listening to a podcast and you this podcast and you have a modeling friend who's not, would you please recommend us to them? Uh, a recommendation, personal recommendation is the best way to grow the podcast. And uh, we've had several people contact us to tell us that they're listening because a friend recommended it. Uh, and, you know, if if the person you know doesn't know a lot about technology, show them how to get a podcast on their phone so they can listen to it. And uh, we'd appreciate your recommendations. And once you're done doing that, you're going to want to go check out all the other podcasts out there in the model sphere. We've tried to make that as easy as possible. We have a consortium website set up with the help of Stuart Clark from uh, the Scale Model Podcast up in Canada. And the URL for that is www.modelpodcast.com. Model Podcast, plural with an S, modelpodcast.com. Go there and there are banner links directly to the website's and uh, hosting for all the other podcasts who have chosen to participate in this endeavor with us. In addition to the podcast, we got a lot of other content creators out there, blog and YouTube friends. Some of those are really good. You're going to want to check those out. Mr. Chris Wallace up in Ottawa, model airplane maker. He's got a nice blog and a nice YouTube channel he started. The Inch High Guy, Jeff Groves from Indiana, our good friend from Indiana. You'll probably see him at Cincinnati, Dave. I will see him at Cincinnati, and he managed to get up to the IPMS Dunlin show this past week, uh, and he's got on his blog a report. The show was apparently a wild success. Uh, in fact, maybe more of a wild success than the the planners were planning on. So <laughs> they, may, they may have to find a new location next year, but... Uh, if you go to his blog and take a look at it, there's a great report with photos from the show. And that blog is the Inch High Guy. Yes. All things 72nd scale. Check out Stephen Lee, Sprue Pie with Frets. He's also, he's got a lot of great commentary out there on the hobby and what's going on and uh, his take on it. Great blog, long and short form stuff. Uh, Stephen does a great job and hopefully he's still plucking away at three Floyds. <laughs> Yeah, he's been doing a lot of really good, you know, we we keep talking about 72nd scale armor being uh, a really growing area, and he's been doing a lot of that lately, so definitely check out his, his blog. Jim Bates, a Scale Canadian TV. Check out Jim on YouTube for a laugh about the hobby and uh, what he's got going on and whether you can see the mountain or not. That's right. And uh, I have it on good authority that Jim is uh, uh, fleeing north of the border this uh, uh, this coming weekend, and uh, he's going to shoot some some video. And they might drop a few little TVs on location in Canada. And we can't not mention Evan McCallum and uh, Panzermeister Thirty Six and uh, his fabulous YouTube channel. He was on with us last time, and he'll he'll be back again. And we just love having him on and, and talking about modeling with him and his his videos are great. I don't care what level of model you are, you're gonna you're gonna learn something. So I I do every time, man. I'm telling you. Well, uh if finally, if you haven't done so, if you're not a member of your national IPMS organization, that's IPMS USA, IPMS Canada, uh IPMS Norway, IPMS Israel. Whatever country you happen to be listening to us in and, and live in, if you're not a member of the national organization, 
please join up, join your IPMS National in your country. The IPMS does a lot of stuff for the hobby. A lot of it is done by volunteers who are giving up their modeling time to make the hobby better. A lot of it's kind of invisible to most modelers who just model and go to local club meetings and go to the occasional show. But a lot of that stuff wouldn't exist without the national organization. So please, if you're not a member of the national, join your IPMS national organization. Well, Dave, let's take a short break here. And we've already mentioned him, but uh, let's hear from our sponsor, Model Paint Solutions. Plastic Model Mojo is now brought to you by Model Paint Solutions, your source for harder steam back airbrushes, David Union power tools, and laboratory-grade mixing, measuring, and storage tools for use with all your model paints, be they acrylic, enamels, or lacquers. Check them out at www.modelpaintsolutions.com. Well, Dave, come and make it in Texas. It's coming faster than you think, man. Well, at the time of this recording, Dave, we are 290 days away from the 2023 IPMS National Convention in San Marcos, Texas. I'm telling you what, that'll be here before you know it. It's flying by. Well, winter's about to set in here fairly soon. We're well into fall in Kentucky now. Uh, it's kind of cold right now, to be honest. Yes, it is. In fact, it's particularly cold. Uh, uh, I was just outside before you and I sat down recording, and uh, <laughs> I don't. I don't think what's left of the garden is going to survive the night. <laughs> well, it'll be less work. That's right. Well, we have an update from uh, Special Agent Double O Three. All right, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about museums in the area of San Marcos tonight. I hadn't even thought of that. Well, if you've got a car or some other form of transportation, hopefully with wheels, because they're not completely close, but you could, you could, people commuting to the show could put one of these between them and the show on the way in or the way out. Right. Or they could go during the show, you know, in the morning before things get kicking at the show. Yep. Ah, we've heard of this one before because there's a, there's a, a show going on. Winter Blitz is going on there, but it, in College Station, Texas, which is about two hours from San Marcos. Yeah. Uh, the Museum of the American GI. Yes. That might be worth checking out if you want to spend a few hours in the car or if you're coming from that direction. I don't know my Texas geography, so <laughs> I don't know which which travelers that would favor. But there's one closer. Okay. In Fredericksburg. Yeah. Which is an hour and a half from San Marcos. Yep. Uh, the Nimitz Museum. Yeah. I've heard of that one. So if, if you're looking for something additional to do when you're at the show in San Marcos, you ought to get on the internet and check out these two museums and uh, see what you think. Now, if you're into armor, the American GI Museum is going to be a good one to, good, to check, good one to check out. I'm not familiar with the Nimitz Museum. The life and times of Chester Nimitz, uh, uh, hero of the Pacific War. Yes. I was wondering if Fredericksburg was on the coast. No, I don't believe it is. Yeah, you know, speaking of which, I, I, interestingly, and I only only know this because of the fact that we live in Kentucky, it's amazing the number of World War II Pacific captains and admirals, etc., who were from Kentucky, which is, of course, a completely landlocked state, <laughs> but uh, uh, in World War II. 
uh, one of the most successful submarine commanders, um, husband Kimmel, who was the admiral at Pearl Harbor when Pearl Harbor was attacked. Uh, there are a bunch of, of U.S. World War II U.S. Navy um, notable personalities who were born in Kentucky. We'll have to look into that. That's interesting. You're right. Well, Brandon's going to look into what else might be of interest to folks within a couple-hour circle of uh, San Marcos. But uh, for now, there's two museums you might want to put on your itinerary or put in your trajectory uh, as you're coming or going from San Marcos. It's a good idea. And if you're from that area, you might want to check out Winter Blitz at the Museum of the American GI, because apparently that was a pretty big success last time. Yes. Yep. Well, Dave, it's time for the Benchtop Halftime Report. And that is brought to us by Tackett Z, our friend Ed Tackett there from Louisville. You can check out what Ed's been up to at www.tackettz.com. Uh, a lot of 3D printed accessories for your for your workbench. And I still need to finish up my thoughts on this uh, thing he gave us at the last show we were at. Yeah, the 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 uh, flexophile sanding holder. Or, or rack or whatever you want to say. Yeah, because you do, because I definitely want to get your input on that and see him turn that into a final product. Well, we'll see if we can't wrap that up this week because I, I know what I need to do. I just need to, to get it all down and sent to him in an email. Gotcha. Well, Dave, what's on your bench? Uh, well. Uh, you've been busy. I've seen it. I've been modeling. Uh, the Airfix Kate is together. It's painted. It's gloss coated. It's getting its decals right now, which has turned out to be a little bit more intensive than maybe I had initially planned, but I'm loving it. I like the way it's come together. I don't think it'll be done by Cincinnati. That would be a real push this week to get it done for Cincinnati, but it is close and it's going to be done soon. Uh, additionally, I got called out by the guys on, on the bench, noting that as far as they were aware, I was the only member, uh, participating in the Musaru cup this coming year who had not started the arm of P 51. So I actually got the kit out and I've started working on it barely. Uh, now I'm, I'm not planning on doing a lot to it until I get this Kate over the line. But as soon as I do, the, uh, uh, Arma will be front and center on the bench. And, uh, unlike most of the modelers who are doing it, I'm not going to be showing a lot of photos of the in progress because I like to keep a little mystery in, in things as far as the Musaru goes. So, uh, but. Mike and I are planning to try and, if we can possibly pull it off, go to Heritage Con. And if we do, I, of course, will take the P-51 with me uh, so that not only do I submit the pictures of it, but I actually show up with it at Heritage Con. <laughs> well, hopefully that'll work out. I'm, I'm, I'm Fingers crossed, man. Fingers crossed. This Kate, this Kate has moved much faster than I ever would have thought. And, and the fact that I do seem to be increasing my build pace really gives me some encouragement. Well, and it's not been at this expensive quality, doesn't look like. You've tried some new stuff and yeah, pulled it no, off pretty well for your first time doing some of those things. Yes. And, and again, what's your plan for getting better? And 
one of the things I try and do with every kit I build is do one thing I've never tried before, whether it's chipping, whether it's uh, the modeling te- modeling technique or or whatever it is, just something new each and every time so that you learn something. Because, uh, you know, you can do the same thing over and over and over again, but if you don't try new and different stuff, um, to me that seems like it, it's safe, but it's a little bit boring. So I'm kind of looking forward to uh, trying new stuff with every single kit that I that I model. Now, as far as the P51 have, uh, goes, I haven't figured out what the new thing's going to be, but we'll see. Anything else? That's about it for the moment. Everything else is sitting on hold pending getting that stuff done. Ah, How about okay. you? Well, I've been kind of busy. Where'd we leave off? Um, the KV85. Uh, I've started assembling tracks for that, and I've started cutting foam for the base. Now, what I'm doing there is I got to get the tracks on the wheels to pose the suspension before I push this thing any further. So I've also got the railroad tracks I need to start working on. Right. Uh, Haven't started that yet, but maybe soon. Now, is is this the first time you've ever used a foam cutter in a modeling project? Uh, I've got a little handheld one. Mm-hmm. that I used on the last project, but not a lot. This, okay. is the first, this is the first time I've actually squared up the sides and cut multiple sheets in a stack all the same width. You know, at work, it's the one I'm using. It's one of those Proxon hot wire tables. Um, right. I like it. It's a little small. I think it's the only downside. That's what she said. To, <laughs> not at my house, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Go on. Oh, <laughs> so the pro you're using the proxon. I'm using the proxon, and uh, it's a fine, fine thing. I mean, it's a good tool. It's quality, but it's a little bit small if you're working with big sheets. So that's probably going to be that's probably on my list to add to the to the to the stable at some point. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's going to be that one or not. Gotcha. So I, I'm I'm going to get the suspension, do all the work to get the suspension posed for that. It's going to kind of stay on the workbench for a little while, but I've got the E16 back out. Yeah. And I, like we talked about last night, I just got to put a stake in the ground and move forward because there's just no information. Yes. And some of the information, if I were to get it now, it's probably too late to do much about it. Well, and this is the thing, Steve, when I was um, uh, going back and forth on the markings on the cake, uh, it was one of the things that uh, Steve Husted, uh said to, to me in an email was, you know, after 80 years or whatever, it is unlikely that some new piece of perfectly clear information that definitively answers the question is going to suddenly show up. True. So you kind of just make your best guess and say, okay, I'm doing it this way. Well, and I might have another E16 back in the stash. <laughs> I've got one too. And with a photo etched set of dive breaks. There you go. Wonder there where those go. came from. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, anyway, the the stake to put in the ground is um I I'm done futzing around with trying to figure out how to way to make a, a rigid, solid bulletproof attachment of the launch trolley to the bottom of the airplane. Because the way it fits on there, well, let me back up a little bit. 
the catapult they've supplied in the Fujimi kit. As there's another one. There's a Hasi kit, right? There's a Hasi right. one. I don't know what they did because I don't have that kit. I do if you want to see it. For the Fujimi kit, this catapult's just a gimmick to display it. Right. R- really. That w- Peel away the onion. That's what you're left with. It's a gimmick because it's not even mentioned in the instructions mounting the catapult and m- mounting the aircraft on the catapult. There's not a picture or anything. Right. So they didn't care. So why should I, I guess? <laughs> and, the, and the launch trolley is just really rudimentary, and I know it's not right, but it's it's all you got, right? Right. So I'm going to take the uh, Shepard Payne approach, and I'm going to, based on the other launch trolley that was for the other, like the Jake, the other two pontoon float plane. Right. Just going to gizmologize the crap out of this thing. And make and it look a little bit more like that. Yeah. I mean, who's going to tell me different? That's what I was going to say. What What are the odds that some hundred-year-old Japanese guy is going to show up at the <laughs> model show? You know, when you, when you enter the thing in the contest, some guy, you know, is going to stop and go, I worked on those, and that's not the way it looked. It's just not going to happen. I, I just, I'm resolved now just to make it look good. Yeah, because the build on the aircraft is 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 probably one of the tightest, nicest builds I've ever done on anything. It it just is. It looks good, unless I f it up during paint. It's going to be a pretty nice looking model, and I want the catapult to look nice too. So I'm going to tart this thing up a little bit with a few more details, and uh, get it to where I can assemble it onto the rigging without actually having to thread a cable through it. I can just like mm. slide it on over the top of the cable. Right. And and go from there. And I think it's going to look pretty good. Well, it's looking good so far, and I can't wait to see it. There, There's nothing that's going to warm my heart more than you and I both finishing a Japanese Navy, World War II Navy aircraft approximately at the same general time so that we both have one in our, in our logbook for this year. Well, we'll see what happens, man. I, you know, if I could put in about four sessions worth of solid work, I'll be ready to paint the catapult and the airplane. And I can't wait to see it. So root me on, man. You got it, man. You got it. All right. You got anything else? That's it. Well, I may sneak something else on the bench here in the coming weeks, but we'll save that for. You keep saying that and I keep being interested. So I'm, <laughs> I'm going I'm to gonna have to find out more about this. I'm, I'm super interested. All right. Well. We'll leave it at that for now. Hey guys, it's Chris here talking about Inside the Armour Publications. Great news. Volume 2 of Models for Ukraine is out for pre-order now. The first book raised over £19,000 for the Disasters Emergency Committee Ukraine Appeal. And we hope this book will raise more than 22000 to add to that total. The book features a number of fantastic artists, including Alex Clark, Calvin Tan, Emilien Diablo, Vance Lubin, Felipe Costa Ramirez, Harvey Lowe, Ian Baraclough, Jean-Bernard André, John Colasante, Jose Brito, Katerina Derbalova, Paolo Portoese, René van der Hart, Robert Blocker, Sam Dwyer, and many more. If you'd like to pre-order the book, I suggest you do it as soon as possible, because it's already selling very fast. Just go to InsideTheArmor.com, where you can pre-order your book, and where you can also order any of our fantastic publications on paper or in ebook format. Mike, uh, I've got to say, 
I don't think I've ever been excited for this next segment as I am right now. Mike, what broke your wallet? Well, let's start small first. Oh, no, no, no. Start big. No, we're going to start small. Cause <laughs> okay. The the uh, the ad we just heard from uh, Chris Meddings, Inside the Armor, is a nice segue to one thing I bought since the last episode. Okay. Uh, I bought uh, more Scratch Building Masterclass from Inside the Armor Publications. Well, good. And uh, which is good because it's, it's a great book. It's very inspiring. There's uh, a couple, well, there's one chapter in here in particular. Uh, I'm going to have to be talking to Chris about it a little bit. He scratches a ship in here and he does some of his own photo ads. There's a, a couple page spread on uh, photo ads fret design. So I know he's done a little bit of that. So Chris, expect an incoming on photo etching. This is great because you bought it at our local hobby shop. Right. You're you're supporting Chris and his endeavor. This is a twofer. This is win-win. Well, it's probably going to cause me to spend a bunch more money. So, okay, win, 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 win. The other is I don't have his first, the first book, Scratch Building Masterclass, and it's out of uh, print, and and it's not an ebook. So, well, you'll have to talk to him. Maybe maybe he's got one lying in a dusty corner. Pete Gay had highly recommended that first book to me, and unfortunately, I hadn't picked it up. So. Maybe maybe you can find one somewhere. Well, I'll find one somewhere because this this book's very inspiring. It, it hits me right in my wheelhouse of the way I like to do stuff. Um, yeah, I, I'm not nearly as good as a lot of these folks, but uh, there's some really cool things in here. And even if you're not building what they're building, a lot of this stuff's applicable to other projects, obviously. So, sure, I'm glad to find that one and get that one in the in the on the bookshelf. Good. So that was the the small thing. Well, let let's get to the bigger thing. Uh, I am the hopefully proud owner and not remorseful owner <laughs> of a Form Labs Form Three three D printer. Now that is putting down a marker. It is. What I, last episode I, I I teased this a little bit, thinking I was probably going to pass on this thing. Or kind of hoping it was going to get sold. <laughs> um, the tie into Georgia is uh, I found this thing on Facebook Marketplace down in Duluth, Georgia, which is sort of down near Atlanta. And I talked to the guy for quite a bit. And you know, I told him, you know, don't hold it for me. I don't know if I can get my ducks in a row. But push come to shove, this, is, this thing's not cheap. And the printer plus the peripheral things he had with it made the price just about 50% off the off the new ticket price, which is the only price. You're not going to find yeah. one discounted. There, there's some coupons that Formlabs offers every now and then, but uh, um, not something that you're going to go to a store and buy and find on sale. And I assume at full price, this is which kidney would you like to sacrifice price? Pretty much. And, and do I need this much printer? We'll see. I guess the the draw was we have two of these at work that I that I manage and maintain and I'm pretty familiar with it. Um, something happened on one of my little side hustles I got got going on and it just kind of lined up that the guy still had it. And my brother lives in Alpharetta, which is about oh roughly thirty miles north of where this printer was, and uh, he went down yesterday and picked it up after I paid the guy and uh, 
the guy had all the original packaging, so it's going to be UPS back up here to me next week sometime. And oh, I we'll, thought maybe you pick it up when you went down to see your uh, family this coming weekend. Your brother? No, he won't. He up. won't be there, and I won't wow. have room. I won't have room to haul it. I mean, the the box is probably like a three foot cube. Really? Yeah, this is a big printer. That is big. So, by comparison to these smaller uh, consumer printers, yeah. But, well, you just strap one of your teenagers, whichever one you will want to, up to the roof of the vehicle, and you got plenty of room for the printer. Well, I think the dog's going with us, too, though, so. Oh, okay. Yeah, you can't strap the dog. We got a full car. Okay. Anyway, he's, he's going to ship it late enough in the week till I can go on my little trip down to my folks in Tennessee and, and come back, and it'll arrive sometime at my work. Because I don't want this sitting on the front porch for 12 hours. God, no. <laughs> God. Although, I got to say, a porch pirate would probably have a pretty tough time getting that thing out off off the off the porch. Well, maybe, but I'm not taking any chances. <laughs> no. God, no. <laughs> so, stay tuned, folks. You know, this would be very video worthy were you to drop an unboxing video. Yeah, maybe. At some point, I'm going to have to make a video. We keep talking about it. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Well, that's all I've bought. I think that's probably good for the year. There you go. Maybe halfway through the next one. (laughs) Uh, And you? I have top that sucker. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I have nothing that will in any way top what you just Ferrari. There you go. That's right. Let me talk about my Yugo. Now you have to be pretty old to to get that reference. Um, I I have purchased nothing like that. Uh, I I still have aspirations for a silhouette uh, cutter. Uh, I've just got to get my ducks lined up to do it. But in the last uh, thirty days or so, I've ended up purchasing again somebody pointed this out and and if you're out there and you're listening and you were the person who it was on Facebook put my name into a comment that drew my attention to it the display steady hand hand steadier for uh for modeling basically it's a giant very heavy metal ball with a um with a, a piece of rod screwed into it that uses for people with uh, um, essential tremor or just to help people study to do very fine work. I got one of those. I picked it up off eBay. It was um, uh, about two-thirds the price of what Despay sells it brand new. Uh, I've just gotten it in. I've just started to play with it. Uh, uh, Mike was here uh, Saturday, and I got to show it to him. And uh, I think it has real potential for helping modelers who, like me, have that tremor that you can never fully get rid of. In addition, from Model Paint Solutions, I got a Fine Molds F4C Phantom with the Michigan Air National Guard markings. Uh, Picked that up uh, from Dr. Strangebrush, and uh, I'm... I've got to say, now, again, I've got nothing to go by other than looking at what's in the box, but I've got a lot of Hasegawa and 
uh, uh, Fujimi Phantoms. And to me, this thing looks significantly uh, like a significant improvement over those kits. So um, I, I've, I've got it's going to go in the build list somewhere. I just haven't figured out where. Finally, um, when I was at the Nationals, I picked up this little stand that adjustable stand that uh, uh, you can uh, put a model on. And I didn't know who made it, but uh, Darren over at the Model Geeks was able to tell me because he had the same stand in one of his pictures of the helicopter he's currently working on. And it's made by a company called Flight Pose. But apparently they're having trouble getting restocked from their supplier. I suspect the thing's... Like most stuff, the the thing is manufactured in China or or one of those countries over in Southeast Asia. But they're having supply chain problems. So flight pose, you know, they don't have their full range on their website right now. However, I found a similar item by another manufacturer on eBay and ended up purchasing that because... I like this stand so much that I bought a second. I wanted a second one. And so that came in the other day. Nothing like a 3D printer. I'm I'm I am embarrassed by the fact that Mike has clearly clearly laid down the big bucks. He's put down a, a marker and I have not met it, but sometime in the future, hopefully I can catch up just a little to what he's doing. Probably going to be sending me jobs to print. So what's going to happen? Yeah, that is exactly. I'm already uh, uh, already planning some of that stuff. So so we'll have to talk. Well, I, I can't believe I found it. The guy who owned this thing was a, he works for a, a prop company down in the Atlanta area. Mm-hmm. And uh, he got it during the pandemic and was moved beyond it to something different, different application. I'm, I'm not real sure, but uh, hey, I got lucky. I yeah. guess we'll see it, if I got lucky or not. <laughs> it, it, it was meant to be. Maybe I'm excited. I am yes, because I am too. I've got to say I'm super excited because when we talk about the, when we get to our special segment, talk about what we're going to talk about. I want to make a reference back to to this purchase of yours because I think it's related in some way. All right. Well, I think that's what broke our wallets, Dave. Yep, mine's pretty broken, but yours is heck, yours is in the hospital on life support. <laughs> Getting the right size base for your model, diorama, or vignette can be difficult and time consuming. Bases by Bill has the solution with their all new custom size display bases. Offering sizes of 4 to 30 inches and any size in between, you choose the dimensions you want and you get the size you need every time. They can also be laser engraved with a unit emblem or custom text of your choice. In addition, shipping is always included within the lower 48 states. Built by modelers for modelers, Bases by Bill has bases and display cases for any type of model and for any size. Visit their website at basesbybill.com to see their new products or to get your own custom built base or display case quote. Use the code MOJO at checkout to apply a 10 listener discount to your order. That code again is Mojo for ten percent off. Bases by Bill for all your model display needs. I love their stuff. 
I do too. I think the podcasts are cooking up something to going to require their help. So yes. more, more on that in the future, probably on a different podcast, but uh, it's a good idea. Yes, I agree. Well, Dave, our special segment tonight comes from a listener mail we got a while back, and uh, their suggestion was, would aftermarket exist without the internet? And I think we both came to the conclusion pretty quick. The answer to that was yes. But we thought it'd be an interesting discussion to to talk about aftermarket in general. We can talk about internet and non, non-internet and what the aftermarket scene has been like since, I guess, since we've been doing this modeling thing not just the podcast but uh in the way back yes you know this whole aftermarket thing is it's kind of gone from uh a really obscure and and kind of uh i don't know what to call it niche well yes it's certainly a niche thing and just when it started out before the internet what do you remember on the aircraft side, anyway, what were some of the first ones to 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 to, to come out? Now, I mean, you know, you could maybe consider some of the vacuform companies as aftermarket, but yeah, not not really because they they were trying to they're trying to have a model, right? I mean, that was a, right. That was a model from the start, but this is like extra stuff. But and and there were vacuform conversions, which I think probably would go more toward aftermarket ish. Uh, stuff. There was the occasional uh, uh, decal, uh, aftermarket decal. Uh, people don't realize that that you know pre-internet aftermarket decal was so dominated by uh, super microscale, super scale. There was almost nothing else out there. No. Um, but uh, for aircraft, there was very little, and what there was, you never knew, unless you happened to have seen one or talked to somebody who had used the particular product, that was the big pre-internet thing about aftermarket. Most of the time, you know, you were buying this because of, you know, a a, a quarter page ad in scale aircraft modeling or fine scale. And there was, there was, you never knew what you were going to get. And <laughs> sometimes it was disappointing. Sometimes it wasn't. I mean, I don't think a lot of modelers realize how spoiled we are where we can now go to a website that has, you know, 42 views of the particular item shows it, you know, in every aspect. Um, and and because of the fact that that there was pre-internet there, you know, unless you were going to advertise it in a magazine, uh, the only way you got the word out is word of mouth. There was a whole lot less aftermarket in total. I mean, aftermarket was a... I mean, it was referred to as cottage industry. And it really was cottage industry. Guys in their garage or in their basement cranking out items, usually handmade items. I mean, the uh, uh, no technological advantages uh, 
like there are today as far as, you know, CAD rendering or, or CAD designing or stuff like that. It really was a very, very niche market. Probably the vast majority of modelers didn't even know that aftermarket as we know it even existed. Sure. Whereas today you go on a you you go on YouTube, you go on whatever, and you see it everywhere. You're exposed to it everywhere. And and that wasn't the case back in the back in the before times. Well, two of the companies that come to my mind, you know, pre internet were uh, Waldron. Yep. Who made the instrument panels. And that's that's really the origin of their punch and die sets. Yes, was for those instrument panels that they they printed. Yeah, the the instrument they made like photo etch bezels, and then they printed the um, the dial faces, and then you bought their punch and die set to be able to punch out the dial faces and put them in the instrument bezels, and then on the mark models. Yep, was. You know, it happened to be an armor photo etch company, but those were some of the first at that time, you know, easily available photo etch sets there were. Right. And you had to, you had to mail order them flat yeah. out. Um, now there's so much of that stuff out there that. And, and another thing about all that is, is that hobby shops could sometimes get some of that stuff. Yeah. But, but God, so if it was off, often like a one and done deal. Right. Right. But because some company would have some stuff, they'd sell to hobby shops and then they'd be gone. Yeah. Or they couldn't keep up. Right. Right. Either they, either they were unsuccessful or they were too successful. And then I guess I'm trying to think I'm, I'm when we formed our club back in Tennessee in the late eighties, mid eighties, what some of the things were that's, that's when Marco Polo imports started bringing the model casting yeah their first versions their individual tracks into the country yeah and gosh what else i guess model casting would be one of those ones that they were right before the internet yes i mean they were they were aftermarket but they weren't you know they were more than just a guy in his basement and you could get some of them at hobby shops where a lot of the small cottage industry stuff, you really didn't see them in hobby shops. You almost always had to order them directly. They seem to be right on the cusp of, of when the internet hit. Well, remember this was t- today. Model casting is in the nice brown paper box with the <laughs> nice label it. on it. And, 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 the stuff I'm talking about was sprues in a plastic bag with a really crappy photocopied header card on it, right? Yep. I remember it. <laughs> a totally, totally different thing. Um, but it wasn't too long after that, though, that you started seeing some of the resin stuff get cranked up and Verlinden coming in on the scene. Oh, Verlinden went, I mean, they went aftermarket as a mass market company. I mean, you know, we used to joke when you would go into a model contest and you'd go to the diorama section 
And a lot of the dioramas looked like nothing more than the uh, Verlinden catalog vomited up onto a, a base. Uh, you know, I saw that Buddha so many times. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing you would see those aftermarket items over again and again. I think uh, Verlinden was probably fairly instrumental in making aftermarket a a a thing of its own, a company that was of fair size who actually that's in addition to being a model distributor and all, but they had their own significant line of aftermarket. I don't, I don't recall many of the early aircraft resin companies, but for, for armor, the ones during that time were like MB models out of, out of Charleston, South Carolina. Yes. Um, Commander series. Yeah. (laughs) And, AEF designs. Oh God, I remember the AEF. They made a, a replacement top or engine deck for a Stug. For the time, I mean, it was a great, a valiant effort. Let's put it that way. <laughs> and you know, today, if you got, first of all, if you go on the internet and were, were to find a company who was producing aftermarket resin you it's just the world has changed so much that you would never see something like that today no and i think during that time the one that made the most strides was was mike bishop and mb models i mean i I agree his early stuff was you know pretty basic um it was as well done as as i guess he knew how to do at the time but quality of, of the the castings and the materials included in the in his conversion kits got better, and his packaging got better, and his instructions got better. Yeah, and and then I guess DML Dragon came along and started releasing everything he had done in resin, and kind of yeah, dropped the curtain on that. Um, some of the others, you know, I, I remember as a modeler buying that stuff and, and getting it. That uh, it must have been my style of modeling, mm-hmm. but for the life of me. I couldn't figure out if you didn't have the wherewithal to cast it and not have air bubbles on every little dome head rivet on the, on the casting. Yeah. Why wouldn't you just cast that thing with screw starter or uh, drill starter dimples in it and let the person and let the- me drill the holes and put my own grant line or whatever rivets on the thing. Yeah. It'd be a whole lot less work. Well, and, and that's another place where technology really not necessarily the internet, but just technology in general got a whole lot better. Uh, you know, these early, early resin casters, they were just pouring resin into molds and that was it. Yeah. But then, then you had guys like formations come along who were using, uh, pressure pots, both, uh, positive pressure and negative pressure. And, the quality of casting just made a leaps and bounds jump probably sometime in the nineties, early two thousand. And then there's always the issues of accuracy and, and, and that kind of thing. Like the Verlinden stuff, the quality wise of the, of the, the finished goods in the box is usually pretty good. Yes. Um, 
the overall accuracy of, of the conversion or or the research that been put into it was open to debate a lot of times, but uh, generally they did a pretty good job. Yes, and and you know that's one of the things is with a lot of the early aftermarket guys, they did the piece of aftermarket, be it photo etch or resin or whatever, because they were interested in that particular item. So in general, they were they were really making the effort. They didn't always get it right, but they were always making an effort for accuracy. Whereas I think the guys who were doing it more as a business, the bigger company, VLS, Verlinden being one of them, where they, their quality of their castings and everything was good, but they weren't in love with the particular subject or subjects that they were doing. So, you know, maybe there wasn't as much research. And I've there's a few vacuform armor conversions out too. Yes. Um, there was model, the one out of Germany. Schmidt, Schmidt model. Schmidt model Blau. Model Bau, but Bau. Um, okay. Yeah, I've, you know, I've got, in my display case, I've got two of those. Do you really? Yeah, I've got a Soviet BA-64 armored car conversion. That was a Schmidt kit. And then the upper superstructure roof and the rear armor, superstructure armor on my Stug F8 are from a Schmidt vacuform kit. Believe that? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And that, <laughs> at the time, that was cutting edge. It really was. Now, going back to the original uh, point uh, that that Mike was ma- or uh, Mr. Karnaka was making was the fact that well, there's no question that aftermarket would exist and did exist pre-internet. What the internet did for it was a make access to it so much easier. Again, you didn't have to write off to a PO box and mail a check, and then you know wait six weeks hoping that. Uh, a package showed up at your doorstep. Heck, there are aftermarket things you can order right now, and you know they'll be on your they'll be on your porch in two or three days. the 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 wealth of knowledge about the aftermarket that's available. You can go to Scalemates, put in any particular item you're building, M1 or or T sixty four or SU twenty seven or whatever. And you'll be presented with the vast majority of the aftermarket that's been made for that particular item in that particular scale. So, you know, again, as opposed to reading through a, a fine scale model or something like that and and the little quarter page ad catching your eye, now it's so much easier to find the stuff. Um Additionally, the research, I think, because of all the information that's available on the internet generally, if you're an aftermarket manufacturer and you want to do aftermarket for a particular item or particular kit, particular prototype, whatever, your ability to research that is a whole lot better than if you're you know, uh, Mike Bishop sitting in his room in 1980, looking, you know, 
the the way I'm sure he did that research was, you know, if there was a prototype item available somewhere, he'd actually have to drive and take pictures and measure and whatever. Or, you know, he'd read books and look through plans and whatever books had been published. Whereas now, you know, there's endless, nearly infinite information out there, which I think assists the current aftermarket guys in making their aftermarket easier to make for them and more accurate. And he's a manufacturer, I think, too. Yes. Either leveraging, you know, global manufacturing markets or the techniques and equipment to make better quality things are, are more accessible to more people now. But my gosh, I mean, look at poor Evan and his quest to evaluate all these 3d printed track sets. Yes. <laughs> They're being released faster than he can, he can acquire and build and review them. Well, and that's the point I wanted to come back to in regard to your purchase. Cause you can certainly make a good argument that there's aftermarket pre-internet and then a revolutionary change with aftermarket post-internet. So there's the pre-internet time, the post-internet time, and then I am not sure we're not coming up on another inflection point. Well, I think we're there for sure. Right, where 3D printing is now going to be as impactful in the aftermarket market as the changeover from pre-internet to post-internet was in the 1990s and 2000s. So that what's coming in the future in regard to aftermarket is going to be the same kind of sea change that occurred when pre-internet met post-internet. I agree with that. I mean, just look at the well, the tracks we've already mentioned, but uh, you know, got companies making photo etch intake screens and and tool fittings, tool clasps, and that sort of thing. Right. Uh, brush guards for lights, different wheels and tire configurations, just all that stuff. And and, and another thing is when this like take PE for example. I mean, how many PE sets are there out there for? You can't even say for a subject anymore. There's multiple choices now for for individual kits. Right. Which is crazy. Yes. Because you get somebody like me who buys them all and cherry picks the the best out of all of them. Right. Uses six parts out of each one. Maybe I'm the loser in this. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, that's that's a good point about the inflection point. No pun intended, but... uh, And not only that, but I do think not only is it 3D printing and 3D printing technology, but I also think it has to do with the CAD software. I think that, you know, when 3D printing first started, not only was the printing, you had layer lines that were noticeable. There were, you know, all sorts of those brand new technology problems that made the new technology less attractive. And I think one of those was the high learning curve to learn CAD technology. But my impression, and Lord knows I have stayed 
fairly far away of trying to learn CAD or anything. My impression is that the CAD software itself is becoming more user friendly. Uh, yeah, to some degree, I think the 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 biggest thing there has happened fairly recently with I think with Fusion three hundred and sixty. Uh, it's the first inexpensive CAD program for three D model design that was anywhere close to like the enterprise CAD packages. Gotcha. Uh, which a lot of those there's a learning curve, but they're really not too hard to learn the, the fundamentals. And I think Fusion three hundred and sixty is kind of that way too. I mean, right now we want to talk internet. I mean, there's hundreds of tutorial videos out there if you wanted to go that route. Yeah, uh, just to learn the basics, and it wouldn't take long. You'd be you'd be doing some some pretty decent things right out right off right off the bat. Just watching, you know, not even hours worth of video. I don't think. And you know, that's something else that that uh, again, going back to the pre-internet, post-internet stuff. That's another. Thing when pre-internet, if you wanted to make photo etch or cast resin, it wasn't like you could hop on YouTube and watch a hundred videos of how to do this stuff. I mean, you either had to know somebody who already knew the skill, or you had to research and experiment and and basically learn learn it from base zero whereas post internet if you want if if you wanted to get into resin casting you could in theory because of all the information out there you ought to be able to do resin casting of simple stuff that you want to do at a level that would have been impressive back in the 80s and 90s almost immediately simply because of that font of information that's available sure well this is certainly post internet but something that's i think is interesting that's happening is you have these model kit companies now now some of them like edward started out as kind of an aftermarket company right right so did arma as a matter of fact um so, you know, but now they're making kits and they're making brass stuff, photoettes, and they're making, you know, machine brass and cast brass right. things. Um, and, and another one doing this on the armor side is like, uh, of recent is, is Ryefield. Right. They're offering things you could buy additional to the kit, separate from the kit, that are essentially aftermarket. But they're coming from the primary manufacturer now. Yeah. In a lot of cases, and it's almost like trim level for buying a car. Yes, in fact, I I think that that's what what's changing in one respect is what is considered the minimum that the modeler expects to be in a box from the manufacturer. I I'll tell you the perfect example of this. Do you remember when? Brass and metal barrels were only aftermarket. Sure. Okay. Yeah. They were not expected in a kit. No manufacturer provided them. They were, if you wanted a, 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 a brass or turned metal barrel, you were going to get an aftermarket. And then all of a sudden, 
manufacturers started putting them in their kits. And uh, then it... Dragon that, to a large degree, I think. Yes, uh, I was going to say that was mostly a dragon innovation. And then everybody did it. And now pretty much every armor kit that you buy that has been released in the last 10 years, a modeler expects to open it up <laughs> and find a turn metal barrel in it. And if he does, if, if he opens it up and there's not one, he's going to think less of that kit because of it. Sure. I think it's raised aftermarket almost becomes incorporated into models over time simply because the expectation of the modeler grows as, and not only that, but the manufacturer can then by including that stuff that would have been aftermarket, they can then justify the higher price of the kit. So it's a win-win for them. Well, one thing it's I think is interesting is is how all this is played into like model kit complexity and part count. <laughs> Some of it has gone off the roof. Oh, for sure. And <laughs> I, I remember I got I can't remember how it transpired, but but, but my father-in-law, my late father-in-law, started dabbling and modeling a little bit. From mm-hmm. my influence and some stuff we'd gone to see together. And uh I he he always wanted a Hetzer and the Hetzer kit I ended up giving him was uh was a dragon kit, which had these photo etch bits in it. Yeah. And I tell you, for from for from the perspective of someone who had no experience beyond yeah. gluing parts together with either tube glue or a solvent glue. Yeah. Yeah, you talk about a stumbling block. <laughs> Well, you know, that's a point. I had not I had not really considered that, Mike, but while while we might consider all these added bits and bobs big pluses in modeling, but especially to have them in the kit as part of the base kit, I had never really considered the question of does that actually represent a barrier to entry for somebody getting into the hobby for the first time or getting back into the hobby after a a long hiatus. And then, you know, especially on the armor side, people recommend, you know, some of the mid-size kind of, to me, armor kits, like, uh, I don't know, a BT-7 or or something like that as a good starting point, which is probably probably fair. Yeah. But if I was getting back into the hobby and I I ended up with a, a Dragon Smart kit. Yeah. Oh, man. (laughs) <laughs> yeah you get there's a lot of dragons to kill in that box yeah yeah well uh, big learning curve big learning curve so yeah i think that's that's interesting you know i had not even considered that's funny i had not even considered that particular perspective uh in this in this whole subject we're discussing because you know having modeled for a few years and I, myself i now consider more stuff in the box you know, aftermarket photo etch, decals, whatever it is, an unalloyed good. And I guess, you know, there's at least an argument to be made that it's not always an unalloyed good, particularly for new models. Well, to the educated, I guess you can you can pick and choose, right? But right. to the uninitiated, <laughs> you could get yourself in something pretty thick and scary. Yes, absolutely. Hopefully you've got a model club you can go to and say, 
you know, how, how do I use this? How do I build this into my model? It's another reason to join local model clubs, guys, particularly if you're a uh, either just back into the hobby guy or just into the hobby for the first time. Definitely, if you've got a model club near you, seek out, you know, go to the IPMS USA website and see if there is a uh, chapter near you. Because really, if you're just getting back into it and or just getting into it and you find all of these new and additional technologies uh, uh, intimidating or difficult to understand exactly how you deal with them, uh, you know, you can watch YouTube videos, you can do all that stuff, and that's all helpful. But ultimately, the best thing is if you can take the kit to your club meeting and say, hey, it's got this in it, how do I deal with this? Or what do I need to know to incorporate this into the kit the way the manufacturer wants me to do it? I think one final thing I'd like to touch on is, I think it gets back to the, would it exist versus the internet? Uh, You know, we've answered that. Yes, it did exist before the internet, but it was a a lot harder to get and there's a lot less of it. Right. The internet and the ease of communication and inner international commerce that that has fostered. I mean, the world's your oyster now, really. Yep. Um, it, it doesn't take that much courage if the dollar amounts aren't too high to, to order something obscure. I, I remember you see these ads or, or you would see them built up from time to time, like these Japanese resin companies, like fairy models and company like that from right. way, way back in the late eighties, early nineties, mm-hmm. pre-internet. That stuff was all but impossible to get unless you right. traveled over there and bought it yourself. I mean, right. there was no easy way to to buy it. And I think all those barriers are pretty much gone. Yep, absolutely. International, what what the what the what the professional types call logistics, you know, that has been a huge change in life over the last 20, 30 years. We all we all see it. You know, order something from Amazon, it's on your porch two days later. But that revolution occurred and made a massive difference in everybody's life. And it made a huge difference in modelers' lives. Because, again, even if you knew there was a, a, a obscure aftermarket manufacturer, uh, and you managed to, you know, you couldn't email them, you couldn't PayPal them, you actually had to send a check. And if you were ordering something from overseas, they might require payment by international postal money order uh, that you had to go to the post office and get. And I mean, it's a pain in the butt. <laughs> oh, God, it was a huge pain in the butt. And then, you know, it wasn't like stuff was shipped overnight. Things, things, even ordering from Hannett's, which now, you know, if I order from Hannett's, big man, big, big distributor, it's on my porch in five to seven days, even by the slowest method of, of mailing. <laughs> Whereas if you ordered something, even from a, a distributor in Europe or Asia, you, you could be looking at four or five months. For Somet- something to arrive. I've waited that long. You, you almost give up on it. 
Yes. Or then it, it just shows up. <laughs> or I was going to say you completely forgot about it, and then suddenly this package shows up in your mailbox one day with, you know, with 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 unusual Four. language on it. Forty stamps. Like, yeah, right. A whole bunch of stamps and all. Whereas <laughs> now you would think of I'd order from B and A in Australia and not think a second thing about it. That's right. So. Again, goes back to making the point that we've made numerous times here. We live in the golden age of modeling. Well, I think so. And I can't wait to see what the 3D printer revolution brings when it really matures as a technology. We're getting there. Yes. Yes, we are. And it's do my part. (laughs) Yes, that's right. (laughs) And you know what? I'm going to help you do your part because I'm going to have some things I need you to to figure out how to make for me. All right. Well, that's our take on aftermarket. If you got any comments, please send them in through email or Facebook messenger. And, uh, we'll discuss those next time. So Mike, uh, did you finish your modeling fluid? I did. I, you know, I finished it, but I wasn't in the mood, man. Oh, really? It's good. I, I don't know, man. I've, I've kind of lost my enthusiasm for a lot of IPAs. Really? I don't know why. Well, I wanted some 7.2% ABV. No, that's not bad. Makes me tired. Well, okay, that is a problem with all the the higher ABV. No, and I think some of these IPAs, I think there's a hops variety I'm allergic to. I've mentioned that before. Yeah. I I think this has that in it, so it kind of makes me start to feel congested. Yeah, and and a lot of people react to hops that way, and you're right, I'm... Uh, a neighbor up the street actually uh, does some of their own beer brewing and the different varieties of hops and their effect on taste and all is it's much more than I think the average person would, would think of. What about yours? Uh, Well, I got to say, I have not lost the taste for Imperial IPAs. Um, I drink this again. Uh, it's 8.7 ABV, so it does have the effect of, you know, if if you have a couple of those, you you start to get tired, and that might uh, negatively affect your your bench time. But uh, good taste. I don't think it's as quite as good as the Voodoo Ranger, but it's definitely drinkable and uh for my first flying dog brewery beer i got to say i'm not disappointed yes so mike uh, you have any shout outs this month i do i've got one okay it's from our latest patreon contributor all right that be mr chris de young he's joined the ranks of the mojovians supporting us through patreon if you'd like to Join the likes of Mr. Young and the others who've, who've chosen to do this for us. You can go to www.patreon.com uh, slash Plastic Model Mojo. And there you can make a recurring contribution in the amount of your choice from a dollar on up. And uh, they'll take care of the recurring billing for that on a monthly basis. We sure appreciate that. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution or manage your own recurring contribution or do whatever you want the way you want to do it, You can go to www.plasticmodelmojo.com and in the upper right-hand corner, you'll find a heart icon that will take you to our PayPal link. And there you can make a 
a contribution of however you want. And folks, we really appreciate it. It's helping us bring this content to you. It's helping us upgrade our equipment, our hosting service, our uh, recording sessions, and the whole nine yards. So appreciate it. You're helping make uh, Plastic Model Mojo a success, and we, we do appreciate it. Well, I've got actually two shout-outs. One, the first one's related to your shout-out. Again, shout-out to all the folks who supported us on Patreon, PayPal. Uh, do me a favor. If um, if you're a Patreon supporter or you've supported us on PayPal in the past and you don't have either a Plastic Model Mojo uh, coaster, beer coaster, or a Plastic Model Mojo decal sticker, please shoot me an email to lowlaw at aol.com. Send me an email with your mailing address. Um, I know a lot of our Patreon supporters have seen us at shows and we've given them uh, uh, the coasters or the stickers. If if you haven't gotten one and you have been a, a, a Patreon or a PayPal supporter, please send me your email address because I'd like or, or email me and send me your mailing address because I'd like to send one out to you. It's the least we can do to thank you for uh, for for helping us continue to do this. And my second one is the guys up in Cincinnati. Uh, the Skippy and I are going to the Cincinnati Model Show this weekend. Um, the guys in we Mike and I went last year. Mike and I have both been to the contest up in Cincinnati many times over the years. Uh, but the guys up there made a special point of reaching out to us and making sure that uh, uh, we were going to have a presence up there and make us feel made us feel welcome. And I'm I'm really looking forward to going to the Cincinnati show, guys. I can't wait to see you all up there. Well, Dave, we're getting into this thing. Yep, I enjoyed it. And you know what we always say? So many kids. So little time, Dave. Take it easy, man. And we'll catch you on the first time.